Now, nonstop sports talk continues with news and analysis from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. Not the hero we deserve, but the hero we need. This is the Big Six. It's going to be huge. With your host, Jason Martin. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining me. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. I am blessed beyond measure. I hope you recognize that you are. And it's Tuesday, man. Some nice weather for a couple of days. It's going to drop like crazy later on in the week and it's going to be raining. But today's the day you just kind of want to get outside. But I'm in a studio. At least it's comfortable in this chair. And I'm behind this microphone doing what I love to do. So, we're going to talk about a couple of different things tonight. I've got some things to say about Julian Edelman coming up. And unfortunately, I've got to go after Nate Burleson, who I really like, just for saying something that seemed completely preposterous Sunday night after the Super Bowl. But Super Bowl odds for 2020 are already out. They came out yesterday. Westgate Sportsbook putting them out. Let me read some of these to you. Chiefs are 6-1. to one. They're the favorites. Three teams at 8-1, to one, the Rams, the Saints, and the Patriots. Chargers, Bears, and Steelers are 14-1. to one. Vikings, Packers, Cowboys, 16-1. to one. Eagles, Ravens, Colts, Browns, Texans, 20-1. to one. Seahawks, 30-1. to one. Falcons, Jags, and Giants, 40-1. to one. Niners, 50-1. to one. Panthers, Broncos, and the Tennessee Titans, 60 to 1. Bucks, Jets, 80 to 1. Redskins, Lions, Bills, Bengals, Raiders, Cardinals, 100 to 1. And dead last for right now, the Miami Dolphins at 300 to 1. And we can look at these odds and we can look at them from a couple of perspectives, but the main one is do you have a quarterback? If you do, you might have some odds. Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the league for my money right now, the most dynamic player in the league. Chiefs are the betting favorites. The next three teams, those quarterbacks, Jared Goff, well, you got Sean McVay, Drew Brees and Sean Payton together, and Tom Brady, 8-1. to Next three teams, Ben Roethlisberger, still very good, although he's going to give you a couple of clunkers. Phillip Rivers coming off one of the best seasons of his career, although it finished with a whimper. And then Mitch Trubisky. But here, I think, is the first time you see a defense getting respect, even though they lost Vic Fangio. And Chicago, we'll see. I'm not so sure about them. I like Matt Nagy a lot. Coach of the year in the NFL. And well-deserved to be so. But I don't know that I believe in Mitchell Trubisky. Next three teams. Vikings, Packers, Cowboys. Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins. Minnesota should have been better this year than they were. I don't know what's going to happen with this Matt LaFleur deal. You have multiple pro bowlers and former players of the Packers saying this relationship with Rodgers and LaFleur is not going to work. I'm on record saying I don't think it's going to work either. But Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback, so 16-1. to And then the Cowboys, Dak Prescott's a winner. Ezekiel Elliott is a great back. Maury Cooper, assuming things all play out right, it makes sense to put them there. Eagles have a quarterback controversy, but both guys can kind of play. Baltimore's defense gets some respect here. 
I don't know that that's a Lamar Jackson deal at 20 to 1. Indianapolis, I think it's low to put them at 20 to 1. I think they were a year ahead of schedule and they they should be more like 8 or 10 to 1. Browns 20 to 1, I might have them higher too. I like them better right now than I like the Minnesota Vikings with all due respect to that team. And then Houston 20 to 1 also, okay. And then Seahawks at 30 to 1, I think that's probably Remember everybody thought Seattle was just going to be awful this year and that didn't happen. I'm not betting against Russell Wilson. I'm not saying he's going to get to the Super Bowl, but 30 to 1 seems low to me. Tennessee at 61 is an indication of exactly one thing. Who's going to be the quarterback? Is he going to stay upright? This team has holes that need to be filled. And one of the biggest question marks happens to be at the most important position in all pro sports. So that's what you get. You get 60 to 1. Denver's got a great running back in Phillip Lindsay. They got a great defense right now, but they got Case Keenum. And they've got Elway making bad draft picks. So they're 60 to 1. Carolina, Cam Newton's health. Big deal. Ron Rivera, still there. Not sure he should be. Tampa Bay and the Jets are about to have. New coaches. Arians, is he going to be the answer for Jameis Winston? If he is, then 80 to 1 is awfully low. These odds are fun to look at, but what's most interesting is Chiefs, Rams, Saints, Patriots are the four betting favorites. They are the final four this past year. That's not usually how the NFL plays out. There are usually some surprise teams. I don't know what those teams are going to be, but I think this year the story going into the season is going to be about the Chiefs. And because the Chiefs are the betting favorites, the gambling community, the Sharps, and everyone else have just handed Bill Belichick and Tom Brady the no-one-believes-in-us narrative. And if there was one thing that made me roll my eyes more than anything this entire football season, maybe with the exception of Troy Aikman saying during the Cowboys-Rams game that Robert Woods is the best wide receiver in the NFL... The thing that drove me the most nuts is this underdog card that the Patriots were playing because the Chiefs were favored at home against them. Look, I saw the Titans beat the brakes off the Patriots in Nashville. I saw the Jags physically dominate the Patriots early in the season. I saw Gronk looking like he was slowing down, Brady not being nearly as accurate as usual. I saw a team that didn't look like it had a great defense early on, that was doing nothing particularly impressive, but I still never counted them out. You never heard me say the dynasty was dead. I picked against them in the playoffs just because I believed in those matchups. I overrated the Chargers because, well, that's never going to happen again. They can go 16-0 next next regular season. I'm still going to pick them to lose their first playoff game. That was atrocious. They made no adjustments. I think Anthony Lynn is a very good coach. I think Rivers is a very good quarterback. I think he's going to be doomed to exit his career without a Super Bowl appearance. The Patriots, because of Bill Belichick, which I laid out yesterday on this very show, should be almost the favorites every year until Belichick's not on the sidelines, especially as long as he's got Josh McDaniels there and Tom Brady's not the quarterback. Because Brady's coming back. He's won six, but it looks like he's coming back. Because why not? He's 41, but he's still playing at a relatively high level. Didn't look that great in the postseason. Didn't have to. Belichick's the best coach of all time in team sports. Yeah, I said it. Red Auerbach, Greg Popovich, Scotty Bowman, Phil Jackson, and all his rings and everything he did. Look, all those guys are great. Coach K, Nick Saban, whatever you want to, whoever you want to put in that list. Bill Belichick is number one. Because he's done it. No matter how the league has evolved, he's still been there to do it. 
He's done it at a high level. He's outsmarted everybody. He's outcoached the young guy in McVay. He's outcoached the veterans. He's pushed guys out of the game. He's cost, I don't know how many guys, jobs on the field and on the sidelines in the AFC East over the past 20 years. The article that Therese Paler wrote for Yahoo explaining how he has his assistant coach's pad game. So I'm going to get Therese Paler on this show. And this article was passed along to me by Dave McGinnis. And he said, I know you love football and love learning about the game. You'll learn a lot from this article. So I read this article. I'm going to get Therese Paler on the show in the next couple of days, I think, so we can discuss this. And I may need to get Coach Mack as well so he can lay it out. Because he said that he experienced the exact same thing when he was young and he was coaching under Mike Ditka. And the other coaches did the exact same thing. It is a grind, but it teaches you football unlike any other. But I'm looking at 8-1 to to the Patriots. So they're tied with three other teams, and the Chiefs are above them. I can understand the Chiefs being the favorites. You expect that defense is going to be better. New coordinator, they'll make a couple of moves in the offseason, and they'd better. But I'm here to tell you one thing, folks. If Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are playing next year, I've done this too many times, and I got it right with the Eagles, but I've done this too many times, and I will not do it again. You heard it here first. The New England Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl again. Because even if they don't, I'll be close to right. They're not going to fall off a cliff. They're just not. The odds aren't that bad, but if you don't have a quarterback, you've got no odds. That's what it says. It says what we all know. The NFL is a quarterback's game. And if you don't have a stud at that position, there's not even any reason to suit up. Unless your defense is all-time great. And if it is, then your window might be real short. Talk to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm afraid, talk to the Chicago Bears coming up this year. These guys coming out in the draft, these quarterbacks coming out in the draft, some of these teams are going to set their franchises up for a decade, and some are going to make mistakes in judgment thinking that the guy that they have is okay, and they're going to set their franchises back the same length of time. Not a whole lot of Brady's that you're going to find late in late rounds. Patriots found one. He's one of six Super Bowls, along with Bill Belichick. The guy that he threw to the most on Sunday is Julian Edelman. Nate Burleson and others making a ridiculous, absurd, preposterous claim in the wake of that 10-catch performance on Sunday night from Julian Edelman. I'll tell you just how ridiculous it is next. Big Six rolls along here on 104.5 The Zone. NASCAR's biggest race is just days away. Sunday, whet your appetite with the advanced auto parts clash from Daytona. Coverage starts Sunday at 1 on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back in. Big Six here on 104.5 Zone Tuesday edition. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining me tonight. So, I could say a lot of nice things about Julian Edelman. He wasn't really supposed to be good, I guess. He barely got into the league. I mean, who the heck was Julian Edelman? Kent State? Are you kidding me? He's one of the craftiest route runners I've ever seen. Finding a way to get open all day long in ways guys far faster than him seem not to be able to. Had over three yards of separation on his receptions on Sunday in the Super Bowl. He's got fantastic hands. He's ultra competitive. He's been an instrumental part of multiple championships for the Patriots. I could also sit here and I could rattle off stats for you. He's played in 115 NFL games in his nine NFL seasons, 499 career receptions for 5,390 yards. Averages 10.8 yards per reception for his career. All that sounds good. 
He has 30 touchdowns in his career. You probably thought that was higher, but he's not really a touchdown guy. He's a move the chains, make the tough catch inside the numbers guy. He's the guy that takes a third and nine, as he did in the first quarter in Atlanta, and gets the first down when it appears to be impossible to pull off. One of the three plays I remember from that game, I remember the two throws to Gronkowski, I guess maybe four, the Aaron Donald play on Tom Brady where he slung him down where some people were wondering why that wasn't a flag, and because it was Brady, that's probably something you probably should have wondered. But the other one was Edelman catching a pass outside the numbers really early in the game. was not a touchdown drive, as we know. Third down and nine, caught it. Dude in front of him, maybe two yards there. And as soon as he caught it, I said, Edelman's going to get the first down. And he did. He went outside him, just kind of weaved around him and found a way to get to the chains, because that's what he does. He's a three-time Super Bowl champion, Now he's a Super Bowl MVP for his act on Sunday against the Rams. But there's also one other thing I not just could, but now have to say about Julian Edelman. Julian Edelman's not a Hall of Famer. In fact, I actually think it's laughable to even consider such a thing. And really, I really like Nate Burleson. As much as I like the work he's doing in his post-playing career in the media, Good Morning Football, CBS Studio stuff, even called a couple of games this year, But the most asinine sentence spoken outside of a bad Super Bowl ad on CBS on Sunday was Nate Burleson saying, quote, no doubt is this guy a Hall of Famer. Unbelievable, unquote. He said that in the postgame. Like immediately when they first went to the booth on the field after the Patriots won the game, that was the first thing he said. No doubt is this guy a Hall of Famer. Unbelievable. Yes, Nate, it is unbelievable. Pulling it up right now. Unbelievable. Defined as not able to be believed unlikely to be true so great or extreme as to be difficult to believe extraordinary and now i'm going to pull up thesaurus.com i'm going to read all of these to you synonyms for unbelievable beyond belief cockamamie that's a good one cockeyed doubtful dubious far-fetched fishy flaky flimsy for the birds full of holes a lot of f's there hairbrained incogitable Kooky, lame-brained, I like it, open to doubt, past belief, phony, questionable, reaching, scatterbrained, screwy, staggering, suspect, thick, thin, unconvincing, unsubstantial, weak, won't hold water, won't wash. Nate's right. It is unbelievable to assert such a thing about Julian Edelman, a man with less catches in his career than Jericho Cotchery. Remember those numbers I just rattled off to you, those 5,390 yards receiving? That places him in 248th place all time. So in the top 50, those 499 catches, 148th all time. And then, of course, there's the fact that he was suspended for the first four games of this season due to testing positive for a banned performance-enhancing substance. Isaac Bruce, not a Hall of Famer. I was reading about him earlier today. 1,024 catches over 15,000 receiving yards, 91 touchdowns. He's been passed over not one, not two, but three years in a row. But no doubt, is Edelman a Hall of Famer? Without Tom Brady and Belichick, where exactly would Julian Edelman be? Now, this is all conjecture, but my guess is, at best, he'd basically be Danny Amendola, but it's more likely he might not even be in the league at all except as a punt returner. Prisoner of the moment, folks. It's a disease. I fall... Guilty to it many times. I was saying before this season that Carson Wentz was a top five quarterback in the NFL. I said he was elite. Maybe need to back back on that just a little bit. 
But here's the thing. Julian Edelman is a terrific football player. I would want that guy on my team, especially now, because he's gotten used to winning. He's ultra-competitive. He's skilled. He would bring a tough mentality to a locker room. This is not a slight on Julian Edelman's talent. But saying he should be a Hall of Famer actually does a disservice to him because now the argument has to go against him today rather than for him. It is ludicrous to even come close to talking Hall of Fame for this guy. But he just caught 10 balls for 141 yards in a horrific offensive Super Bowl, great defensive Super Bowl, and he was uncoverable in that game, except he didn't score a touchdown. But every article over the last day or so isn't about how good he played in Atlanta, but whether or not he should have a bust in Canton. And here's the real discussion is, and I'm just going to put this in air quotes, well, you could put him in a discussion for one of the best slot receivers of the past half decade or so, unquote. Is that something that's Hall of Fame worthy? Here's another number for you. Folks, there are exactly 12 wide receivers that have made the Hall of Fame this century. Twelve. A dozen. One, two. Here is that list. Lynn Swan, John Stallworth, James Lofton, Michael Irvin, Art Monk, Jerry Rice, Chris Carter, Andre Reed, Tim Brown, Marvin Harrison, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss. That's the list. So I'm just going to rattle these off a little bit quicker now. Irvin, Rice, Harrison, Carter, Owens, Moss, Reed, Edelman. Record skip. Edelman? One of these things is not like the other. Nate, again, unbelievable. Defined as so great or extreme as to be difficult to believe. 5,390 yards receiving, 499 catches, 30 touchdowns in his career. That's 248th place, 148th, and I have no idea where 30 touchdowns put you. Isaac Bruce, not a Hall of Famer, 1,024 catches, over 15,000 receiving yards, 91 touchdowns. Those numbers has over 10,000 more yards than Julian Edelman, has 61 more touchdowns than Julian Edelman, also won a Super Bowl, nearly two. The Patriots robbed him in the second one. And nearly 600 more catches in his career, and that guy can't get in. Some of that pretty esteemed list I just read, it took them years to be voted in. Julian Edelman, a no-doubt Hall of Famer, unbelievable, hyphen Nate Burleson Sunday on CBS. Julian Edelman is really good. But that Hall of Fame nonsense, talking about that at all, is just that. Nonsense. Why can't we just celebrate him for being a good football player? And maybe have to put the asterisk there with the PED suspension. But he's definitely good at his job. But I need people like Nate Burleson to stop this argument and stop saying this because they're embarrassing themselves. And now, just to show you The other side, here are a few antonyms for unbelievable, also from thesaurus.com. I highly recommend it. Nate, pay attention. I really hate doing this to you because I love your work. I love the show. I love how you do your job. But this comment, 
that Julian Edelman is a no-doubt Hall of Famer. Bruh. Here are those antonyms. Believable. Conceivable. Credible. Plausible. Possible. Reasonable. Tenable. Stay down, Nate. Team Edelman, stay down with him. Julian Edelman is good. Is it cool if we just leave it at that? Do we have to put him in Canton erroneously because not a single stat backs up the fact that he would? Yes, other than Jerry Rice has the second most postseason yards in history. That's real good. He's awesome. Paul Pierce ain't getting in the NBA Hall of Fame, or he shouldn't. Nah, you know what? He should. But he's not a top 50 player. He's definitely a Hall of Famer. Let me change that. Paul Pierce is definitely an NBA Hall of Famer, but he's nowhere near one of the top 50 players in the NBA. So can we just leave him in the Hall of Fame and not try to push out, like, I don't know, Dennis Johnson or Isaiah Thomas or whoever it is to try and weave Paul Pierce in there? Twelve wide receivers this century have gotten into the Hall of Fame. If I'm naming the top 12 wide receivers in the NFL today, Julian Edelman's probably not one of those 12. Unbelievable is indeed correct, Nate, but it's about your statement, not about how obvious it is that Julian Edelman should be a Hall of Famer. That is my two cents. That is what I get paid to do. You're good at your job, but quiet down on this one. Up next, a sport that is somehow more interesting off than on the field. Have we ever seen this before? I'll tell you next. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. 104.5 The Zone. Kent Daniels Sports Fest. Featuring the Music City Blitz at Nissan Stadium Saturday, March 30th. Bring the kids for a fun-filled day. Inflatables. Food. Interactive. And games. Plus our annual speaker series returns. Special guests to be announced soon. New for 2019, the Music City Blitz. A five-on-five flag football tournament to benefit Special Olympics Tennessee. Register your team at musiccityblitz.com. The 10th Annual Sports Fest. Saturday, March 30th at Nissan Stadium. Tickets are free. Find out more at 1045thezone.com. Glad to have you with us on a Tuesday. Warm Tuesday. Hit over 70. My car said it was 73 outside. I'm in here wearing shorts and a t-shirt. It's February. It's not even Valentine's Day. That's next Thursday, guys, just in case you had forgotten. 104.5 104.5 Zone, you don't forget this. Every year at Sports Fest, coming up, 10th Annual Sports Fest featuring the Music City Blitz. That's going to be a heck of a lot of fun watching those teams. Saturday, March the 30th, 9-4, to 4, Nissan Stadium. The best interactive family experience for sports fans that you can find, honestly. And it's going to be absolutely free this year. So there's no excuse not to get there. Music City Blitz, 5-on-5 five five flag football tournament to help benefit Special Olympics Tennessee. Great cause to register your team and take part. MusicCityBlitz.com. It's fun for the whole family. We will have the Sports Fest Speaker Series back this year. Representatives from all the teams around Middle Tennessee, vendor booths, concessions, all the inflatables that will tire out your children so they'll be ready for bed by 7 o'clock, giving you a Saturday evening in peace. And we'll all be there. You can come up and say hello. And we love this opportunity to, to meet with you and to really get you know one-on-one FaceTime with the listening audience. And again, tickets free this year. For more info, it's 1045thezone.com. 10th Annual Sports Fest, Nissan Stadium, March 30th. It is going to be a blast. So I teased before the break, a sport that's somehow more interesting when it's not being played. 
Not that it's terrible when it's being played, but what happens off the floor dwarfs what happens on it. So while we're all in Atlanta last week debating Brady versus Goff, and I don't mean all time, I just mean for this one game, who's going to win? Bill Belichick versus Sean McVay, Rams versus Patriots, we're all out there scrambling to do interviews with everybody in a gold jacket or everybody that appears to have someone walking with them wearing some kind of a blazer that would indicate, okay, that guy's probably some kind of celebrity. There was a funny thing happening in sports world, and that was that the NBA dominated the headlines. And when I mean dominated, I mean dominated. How much news came out of the ATL last week during Super Bowl week? What interesting things were said? Now, there was a time when the week of the Super Bowl provided content for days. It felt like the biggest thing, not just in sports or entertainment, but seemingly in the entire world. Remember how you felt about the royal wedding gals? Or guys, I guess. That's how the world seemed to... They used to respond to the Super Bowl. Now, I would be curious to hear from you. So you can tweet me at jmartzone about this. Or you can give us a call at 615-737-1045. Might not have time to get to the calls, but we'll try. You guys weren't in Atlanta, so you weren't in the bubble that was impossible for us to escape from. The question I have for you is, did you care about anything that was going on related to that game? Maybe you cared about Roger Goodell's press conference because for some reason you wanted to hear him say something about that Saints-Rams no-call situation that wasn't going to make you feel better. But generally speaking, did you care a bit about the week itself? Now, you're ready for game day, sure. You're going to watch the game. Super Bowl Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. But how much time did you spend consuming media? Now, I get that you might have listened to the Radio Row content here on The Zone. That's not really what I'm talking about. The Super Bowl itself, that storyline during the week. Was that the storyline of the week? Not even close. Certainly not politically. We had that Northam deal. We had immigration. We got a half dozen Democrats announcing their intentions to run in 2020. Not to mention there's international affairs. But it wasn't even the storyline of the week in sports. The NBA, to borrow a phrase from my pal and colleague, Clay Travis, dunked on the NFL last week. Not in ratings during games, that will never change, but in the all-important star rating. And I've argued many times before here on this show and others that the biggest superstars in all of sports, perhaps with the exception of NFL quarterbacks and only really a handful of those, maybe two to three NFL coaches could be included. Two of them we saw on Sunday, I would say. The biggest superstars in all of sports are NBA players and college football's elite coaching fraternity. These dudes have unfathomable power. When you think of the state of Alabama, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Probably two things. It's not Mobile. It's not Leonard Skinner. It's not Birmingham Jail. It's not the history. The first thing that comes to mind is Nick Saban or it's Bear Bryant. Dabo Swinney is the biggest name in the state of South Carolina. Urban Meyer was the same in the state of Ohio, with all due respect to John Kasich, which is to say, I guess a little respect. He seems a decent enough guy. But NBA players have always been the celebrities of sports. Jordan, Magic, Bird, Wilt, Russell, the Big O, Shaq, Kobe, LeBron, D-Wade, KD, Steph, the Iceman, Kareem, now we got the Beard, CP3, Kyrie, Dirk still around, 
Barkley, the mailman, Stockton, the glove, even Blake Griffin is a superstar. All these guys host all-star weekend parties, or a lot of them do, that get attended by the A-list of the A-list. And we've got Jay-Z showing up at these parties with Beyonce. Hollywood even idolizes NBA players. On the court, though, the league is ultra-predictable when it comes to its champions. We watch the regular season right now, and we see these Denver Nuggets playing so well in the West. There's not one of you out there that thinks they're going to beat the Warriors when it comes down to it in May. Not one of you. If you say you are, that's because you're not paying attention. We are watching the NBA for the performers and their performances, not the outcomes themselves. And that's really unique, right? How many sports is that the case for? And that takes me back to last week. What happened? It was Super Bowl week, but what happened? Well, Anthony Davis demands a trade from New Orleans. Seemed really tailor-made and created to get him to the Lakers to play with LeBron. Both those guys have the same agent, Rich Paul of Clutch Sports. Chris Stapps Porzingis traded to Dallas to join up with Luka Doncic and make the Dallas Mavericks even more interesting. And freeing up space potentially to land Kevin Durant, who talked a lot. Maybe Kyrie Irving, who said he doesn't know nobody bleep and went off on the media. And the NBA, in the lead-up, figured out months back, hey, let's push the trade deadline back one week, knowing that's going to make all sorts of extra headlines out of the conjecture circuit and the possible moves right in the midst of the NFL's biggest week. Watching the NBA regular season... I like it because I'm a hoopshead. I love the league. But even I've got to admit, this is the best reality show in all of TV. And I'm not sure exactly when it shifted, but I would say around the time that LeBron made the decision, it felt like we were watching something that should have ended with when people stop being polite and start getting real as a tagline. The NBA is relentless in generating stories about itself. And these are headlines that are centering almost entirely around personalities, egos, and collusion, like we're seeing right now with the Anthony Davis thing, potentially. Who's better? And then just malcontent inside locker rooms. This is not drama like Antonio Brown and the domestic assault thing that came out today or things of that sort, Reuben Foster... This feels like legitimately scripted drama content, sometimes comedy content, that gives the NBA's most recognizable names, their biggest stars, a spotlight where we all pay attention and we all have opinions and want to comment on every word that comes out of their mouth. It's brilliant, really. I've I've said many times, they don't wear helmets, so we see their faces. So on the floor, we watch every emotion they have. We think we know them. We can sit there when we see their faces and say, oh, that guy's a whiner, he's a crybaby. Tim Duncan, when's the last time that guy didn't think he was fouled? You know how you feel about Phillip Rivers? Everybody in the NBA is Phillip Rivers, in one way or another. You think you know them because you see them emote. You don't see guys behind the helmets. You can see them celebrate sometimes, maybe taunt, but we're seeing their eyes. We're seeing everything about these guys' faces. And it just makes them recognizable celebrities, even to other celebrities. You got tough guys, and you know who they're tough. And then you got fake tough guys like Draymond and 
and KG used to be seen that way. But think of like Russell Westbrook, for example, or Kobe Bryant or some guy like that. You could see on his face he was a stone-cold killer on a basketball court. So the NBA dunked on the NFL when it came to just being a part of the news cycle. They masterfully crafted all of this. I know it wasn't intentional, but I'm sure it didn't hurt. I'm sure Adam Silver didn't exactly hate all the publicity that the NBA had last week because it's creating and generating interest in a league when it already seems like the Golden State Warriors are going to win it again because we knew it before the season started. Folks, I am really intrigued by the NBA's future. The younger audience is flocking to this league because it's a game that, honestly, it's perfect for a 20-second highlight on social media. Really, a a seven-second highlight. You got LeBron just yamming on a guy in the paint, posterizing him with one of those ridiculous windmills, and that thing gets shared 50,000 times in an hour. Steph Curry, from 35 feet, shared 100,000 times. James Harden, some step-back three, million shares. The NBA game is made for today and the technology that we have. Now, the NFL is not going to be defeated. I'm not making that claim. Unless football goes all the way away, the NFL is the NFL. College football is college football. But the NBA's marketing arm and how they've managed to turn themselves into sports version of the WWE, that is relentlessly fascinating to watch. I love just the tabloid nature of the NBA. I might not sit down and watch a doubleheader. I'll watch inside the NBA every single week. And I'll watch a good bit of basketball, but I don't miss these stories, and I love to talk about them. Coming up on the other side, the strangest story to close up the shop tonight, the strangest story that I've seen so far this year. It involves ESPN and a terminated employee. I'll try to parse it for you and explain what's happening as we uh, close up next. Big Six rolls along here on 104.5 The Zone. We're giving you a chance to win $1,000 four times every weekday. 4K a day means free money for you on 104.5 The Zone. Final segment here on this Tuesday. Thanks for joining me. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Helping get you home. Hopefully the traffic hasn't been that bad tonight. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Thanks for all that said kind things about my final segment last night. If you missed that, it's a good reason to subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't, searched The Big Six with Jason Martin via your podcast catcher of choice. You can get the archive dating back to July. Get all of our shows you know, somewhere around 15, 20 minutes after they air. So if you have to miss part of it or if you want to go back and relive part of it, that is available for you to do. It includes all our Radio Row interviews from last week. We also still need to release the podcast of all the stuff that I didn't have time to air that I recorded during the afternoons in addition to the live content that you actually heard. But yesterday, I, t- I kind of took you behind the scenes of Radio Row, and I-, I left a message for my Zone colleagues that really helped me last week and, and showed just how worthy of your time and respect out there as a listening audience that they are. I am very lucky and blessed to work with some tremendous people. So check that out if you didn't. So Andrew Marchand of the New York Post broke a story this weekend, and we all found out about it on Sunday before the Super Bowl kicked off. has to be one of the stranger news items of the past several months, certainly in sports. If there's one guy that seemed to be, I would say, awfully popular, growing in popularity, to be sure, in Bristol, it was Adnan Verk. 
And he's a Canadian-born sports personality who also had a major penchant for pop culture. And if you were to take Canadian-born out of it, that's hitting a little pretty close to home right here with me. But he was part of ABC's Oscar coverage the last couple of years. He hosts his own culture podcast. He does all sorts of radio hits talking sports, but usually ends up fielding movie questions. He does Sports Center. He does college football and basketball studio work. But he was also one of the main hosts of Baseball Tonight. I never read or heard a word about this guy that wasn't overwhelmingly positive from his colleagues. He seemed likable. He was smart. He was good at what he did. He's quick-witted, good ad-lib, and he rose up the ranks really quickly at ESPN. He had just signed a four-year yeah, four-year contract, seemed to be on the cusp of being one of the bigger young names on the entire brand. And the reason I'm talking about Adnan Verk today, though, has nothing to do with his accomplishments. Instead, it's about him being removed from the Bristol campus on Friday after being ordered to clean out his desk, grab his belongings, and exit the premises permanently. Yeah, Adnan Verk was fired on Friday. And the circumstances surrounding this termination are pretty interesting, although right now they're still kind of vague. He was fired for, and I'm going to quote from a couple of different articles, mainly, though, from this one from Sports Illustrated's legal expert Michael McCann and Richard Deitch of The Athletic also reported around the same time the same things. The accusation is that Adnan Verk disseminated proprietary information to other outlets. In common language, what that means is he leaked internal company information to an outside source, specifically at this one case that we know about, to a guy named Ben Koo, who writes for Awful Announcing. So what was the info? Back on the 28th of January, Koo put out a story at Awful Announcing, breaking news that ESPN had decided against bringing back its longtime Baseball Tonight highlight show that used to run every night throughout the MLB season. It's one of the reasons we know who Carl Ravitch is. I know he was good on SportsCenter, but Carl Ravitch was Baseball Tonight. And he had the web gems and those kinds of things. It was a very good show. It was a really easy way not to have to watch hours and hours of baseball because you could get it done there. There were two major reasons why ESPN decided not to bring it back. One being negotiations with Major League Baseball, and the other being ESPN's rating projections not matching up with the airtime required to bring it back. This is directly from McCann's article. Quote, It's clear that in researching his story, Koo relied on at least one source who was privy to ESPN's internal discussions. To that point, Koo writes, Awful Announcing has learned that ESPN... And then he goes on. In journalism, the two-word phrase, has learned, typically refers to confidential information shared by an inside person on background, meaning not for attribution and usually not as a direct quote. That's from the Michael McCann article at Sports Illustrated that published earlier today. Now, I was sitting there wondering, how exactly did they figure out or decide that it had to be Adnan Verk? And there are others asking the same question, but the New York Post report mentions that he was either aware of a conference call or was actually part of a conference call recently in which executives discussed ESPN's baseball coverage and Baseball Tonight in particular. So why would Adnan Verk care? Well, as I told you, he's part of the baseball side. He loves the sport. And if I had to try and explain why he'd be a prime suspect here before looking at any evidence... It would have to be because he personally stood to gain from being the host of Baseball Tonight, at least part of the time. 
ESPN confiscated a company cell phone from him, so they may already know for certain he did what they're claiming he did. Verk is not being paid severance. The company voluntarily broke their contract with him in order to fire him. It's deemed a with-cause termination. That, vi- that Verk violated the terms of his agreement in such an egregious fashion that it empowered the company to do what it did. And the information he leaked, and there's no speculation as to whether this was the only incident or if there's something else out there, we don't know yet. But it can be considered, and probably accurately, trade secrets. And when you hear those two words, you recoil because you know what that means. It's confidential material, it's strategies, it's business practices, it's relationships between companies. It's stuff that you have to keep quiet. And usually it's in your contract and in your arrangement that you have to keep your mouth shut about this stuff. And there's one other thing that McCann mentions that made me take note before I even got to it, which is the outlet Adnan Verk allegedly leaked this information to. When I heard where this information may have ended up, I immediately raised an eyebrow. Awful announcing. Now, full disclosure, back on the old Saturday sports trend days, me and Brandon Hagney and David Reed, we would have Matt Yoder, who was sort of the head of awful announcing at the time, on our show, and we'd talk about sports media, and it was always fun. Matt's a really good guy. When I went to work for Clay Travis, not necessarily when I was just writing for him, but when I was his executive producer and I was on the Fox Sports Radio airwaves regularly, I did stay friendly with Yoder, and he actually joked on one occasion on The Zone on the Saturday show that he'd take it easy on my boss when he did my show. And like I said, Yoder was a good dude. But awful announcing is not exactly a bastion of journalistic integrity, folks. And that's not really to say, I'm not dogging him here, that they do some good work, and they write some prescient stuff. But what they trade in generally, however, is much more attacking media people they don't like, propping up those that they do like, and nitpicking and blowing out of proportion the most unfortunate moments or flubs from a multi-hour broadcast as if they're somehow the arbiters of what's acceptable when almost none of them have done anything in media. And they usually and fairly regularly go after ESPN. Of course they do, because ESPN puts out the most content, so they're going to make the most mistakes. The only person that I've never seen them go after at all is Katie Nolan, and it appears as if they're... Her parents, they love her as if they birthed her. So if Adnan Verk, as good as he is at his job, leaked confidential company information to an organization known to be at least semi-hostile publicly to ESPN, and then per other reporting was, quote, not forthcoming, unquote, in discussions to ESPN, he should have been fired. Now, he may deny it, though he hasn't yet, from what I've seen. McCann says that he may claim that what ESPN portrays as a disclosure of proprietary information is in reality an accepted practice within the industries for broadcasters and journalists. Or he might argue that what he leaked really shouldn't be considered a trade secret. But all of this, no matter how he tries to defend against it, is basically for one reason, to get more money on the way out. And yeah, he might want to rehab his reputation, but he wants money. Because whatever he did, if indeed he did do it, That's a really smart guy doing a really stupid thing. And we've all been guilty of doing that a time or two in our lives. But this story is interesting. And we're going to have to see how it plays out and what his argument is. If he really tries to defend against this, if he denies this, if there's more instances, it's going to be something to keep an eye on over the next few weeks. 
And that is the weirdest story I've read this year so far, to be sure. Although, hot on its heels is this John Wall deal. With our final you know, few seconds tonight. Did you see this? John Wall is already done for the season with a heel injury. Now he's going to be out for over another full year. Why? Not because of the heel injury or the heel surgery he had a few weeks ago. No, John Walt ruptured his left Achilles tendon at home when he slipped and fell. What? Yes, ruptured. And this was discovered when a team doctor was cleaning out an infection from his heel surgery. If you remember back last July, first month of this show, I gave you a list of the big six most overrated people in sports. And I dropped that on you. Refresher course. John Gruden. Check. Kirk Cousins didn't make the playoffs. Check. Paul George eh, may have been a little hasty there, the way he's playing. Loving that. Tom Herman relative to his hype, but he did win a bowl game this year. And a big one at that. Jim Harbaugh, I'm sticking by that one. And the number six guy was John Wall. John Wall played 41 games last season. He dealt with a knee injury. This year he played in 32. His season's over with the heel surgery, and now he's out for another year because of this Achilles injury that happened at home. Yikes, folks. Just yikes. Suggestion tonight in in lieu of things that make you go, hmm, I'll make you smarter by saying this. Don't slip and fall at home, and don't leak proprietary confidential information to someone hostile to your company. We'll see you tomorrow night. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless, and good night.